Oh, great. Another Leisure Fryer tweet. Hey, you're embarrassing yourself, you geriatric fuck! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Gwyn Intelligence Podcast. I am Harold James Preller, and joined as always by uh, nobody, no Marber, no Chad, no anything. But uh, thanks to the graciousness of the Trump administration, <laughs> we have a very special guest today. We have Tom Conferers. I believe this year, man, might be your fifth appearance on the podcast. I think so. I mean, uh, I think that qualifies for a free Nando's uh, next time you come into town. Yeah, I'll, I'll meet up with you this summer. Definitely. But, uh, you know, you've, thanks to the, this presidency, you have a little time on your hands right now. And <laughs> I'm sure you've been thinking nonstop about the Padres, right? It beats thinking about what my real job is, yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does that. Hopefully it'll end pretty quick and uh, make sure everything ends before spring training. And I got an upcoming trip I had planned to uh, Cooperstown in, in Feb- I think in like late January. I still should be able to do that. So that should be okay. All right, good. And it's a big time for Mad Friars right now, I, I assume yep. traffic-wise at least. Um, we've talked a lot of times about prospect lists and stuff, but this is right. Mad prospect list season so all of the mad friars writers have been issuing their top 30s and uh it's been really exciting for padres twitter because there's nothing padres twitter loves more than seeing prospect lists right well for us the prospect lists get the most hits and also it's a way for the five of us to call david j an idiot when he screws something up so that's that's always a big benefit for us that takes the precedence over everything whose list gets the most traffic Mm. I'm not sure. David's more on the metrics than I do. I mean, I think uh, I think the guy who always gets a lot of popularity on his list is is Marcus. Marcus has done a really good job, as uh, all of our guys have. I'm always real happy with all their work. I mean, Kevin does a good job, Ben, Travis, and, da- and even David. So uh, they do a good good job. Are you planning on firing any any of them? No, we're not going to riff anybody. So we're gonna we're gonna keep it going. It's right, a healthy organization that's healthier than our federal government's organization. Yes, yeah, we had our best year, you know, financially uh, since leaving Scout, which worked out pretty well for us. So uh, we were able to have multiple trips, and um, you know, I think that really paid off. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into some of the guys. One guy I think you and I talked about last time a lot when I was on your uh, show was uh, Cal Quantrill. And so all of us had a lot of looks at Cal Quantro and uh, the Mad Friars staff is pretty united. We have a little bit lower ranking of him, I think, than more of the, the bigger publications do. Well, he's still got, you know, name appeal, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. I've seen a lot too. Of all the prospects, you know, in the top 10 or wherever you have them, I've probably seen him the most. Like I saw him an awful lot at Elsinore. And I think we kind of share the same opinions on where Cal Quantro was and what we think he could be. Well, the thing about Quantrill that's interesting is, I mean, I saw him at the end of spring training. Uh, Marcus saw him in April. Uh, David saw him in May. I saw him again in June in San Antonio. And Ben Davies saw him in El Paso in August. And all of our opinions, and I believe yours, had the same thing, was the velocity's there. He has a really good changeup. He has no consistency on a breaking ball. But the biggest thing that is trouble with him is he doesn't really have command of his fastball. 
And when I spoke to you last, I thought there's a chance, you know, it still could happen that the fastball command could come back. But right now, you know, he just misses too much over the plate. And uh, he was, by all accounts, the fourth best pitcher on the San Antonio staff last year. And I mean, he, the guys that he came up with, Eric Lauer and Joey Lucchese, are in the major leagues. So I have trouble putting him in. I think Kyle Glazer had him at number 10. And uh, I feel okay where our ranking is. I think we, we saw him a lot. We got a lot of information on him. And uh, he could still bounce back, have a big year. But as of right now, and in, in January of 2019, I think there's a lot of people that are ahead of him. Well, and that's a big issue. Like, when you have so many prospects, there's... Mm-hmm funnel right right and, and we talked a lot this year there's a lot of hype about the 40-man roster crunch and stuff correct i mean there is truly a funnel where it's great that there's 50 prospects but there's only five rotation spots and correct. so you can be the you know the 13th best prospect in the system but you still have to be better than the guys that are filling a major league rotation and i guess with some guys you're like well Cal Quantrill's probably a major leaguer. You could slot into a number five. But when you're a team trying to win, you got to ask the question, is he really better than what we need to be a playoff team? And, and I guess with Quantrill, I've always had that kind of question. I, my, my question is, I don't know if he's better than a lot of the guys that we're talking about. You know, I like Jake Nix probably more than most of us do. And uh, I would take I would take Knicks over Quantrill any day. One thing about Quantrill, too, that's kind of interesting is when I was at San Antonio, you know, I had a chance, you know, to kind of be, see these guys around for about five days. Is, you know, Paddock is about six foot five. I mean, he's a big dude, really wide shoulders. Uh, Knicks is a beast. Logan Allen's only about six feet, but he's really wide and, you know, he's pretty muscular. Quantrill's maybe about, Six two and a half, six three. He might be about 185 pounds. I mean, he is not kind of the big type of power pitcher that you would see. And kind of to go back to your point too is, you know, it, it's not not even necessarily if this is a part of a championship team. It, is this guy better than someone you already have in your organization? And one thing, if you're AJ Preller, your namesake, that you have to ask is, is Quantrill's value much higher now? Then it would be next year if he kind of has another season like he did now. And should he be one of the guys you think about moving? Right. I mean, it's kind of like you mentioned Jacob Nix, but mm-hmm. there's no question Jacob Nix had more trade value probably last offseason than he would this year. Not not that they were shopping him or anything, but like you call a guy after the majors, he struggles a lot. I'm not saying they should give up on him, but that that hurts your your value. And I think a lot of people think well, you have these prospects and you call them up to the majors and, and like a like a flower, they'll just keep growing and sprouting. Right. And that doesn't always happen. There, there's a, there's probably a lot more examples of guys that get called up and, and go in the toilet. You know? Well, there's two things. One thing to go back with Knicks. Knicks was kind of pitching while he was hurt most of the year. And I mean, all these guys kind of had the same philosophy as uh, the old tennis player Jimmy Connors said. He said, if you're playing, you're not injured. If you're injured, you don't play. So if they... If they're playing, they're going to be tough to tell. But Nick's had a really bad groin strain, and he had off-season surgery. So my guess is if you are reading the San Diego Union next next uh, spring training, which I know you're an avid reader yeah. follower yeah. of Kevin Acey, um, and you start reading about the increased velocity of Jake Nix and how amazing it is and what tricky did he's he's healthy. If Jake Nix is healthy, which I think he will be, which is the re- reason why ranking was that high, 
he's a very good pitcher. If his velocity is where we kind of saw it, uh, you know, last September, he's going to, he's going to struggle. And so I think there's guys that'll, that'll eventually pass him, but I like Nick's quite a bit. I mean, uh, when he's on, I think he's as good as anybody. So I don't want to just go through the list and, and right. one's this, number two's this, but I, I have noticed on Twitter there was, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about the Padres offseason, right, and probably right. the lack of action on it. Um, the only action we get is generally tweets from national writers trying to spread around rumors or, or whatever, create clicks, whatever they're doing. And there, there is a player that, that comes up a lot because the story is that A.J. Preller doesn't want to trade any of the, you know, one through five prospects. So right. People look on the lists and they see the next guy up, which is a lot of times Adrian Morahone, who, mm-hmm. of course, we've had some minor spats on Twitter where I think right. you pointed out they don't want to trade him. They spent, you know, $16 million on him. 22, yeah. 22 million, yeah. Um, whereas I'm like, well, that money's gone. It's, it's gone. I've, he's got a nice car. He's, you know, he's, that money's <laughs> long gone. But, um, You've, you've actually said that you see him maybe even making it to the major leagues this year. And I, right. I think on in general, you've been a lot higher on him than a lot of the people's you know, writing about prospects. I've seen him quite a bit at Elsinore. Mm-hmm. I've, I've sat right. next to his girlfriend in the stands right behind home plate. It's been very That's exciting. a memorable occasion. His girlfriend's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> uh, that Dan, uh, devilish Danny Ortiz, I'm sure, was very jealous of that. Um, he's, uh, he's had some comments on that on our uh, personal yeah. DMs, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Very appropriate comments. Um, um, I, he, I he guess. looks good, right? You know, when you see him, he looks good. But right. but there's always in the question about how many innings is he going to throw. Um, All legitimate. He, he doesn't have a great body. You know? Better than he did when he first came in, yeah. yeah. Those are good que- no, those are all good questions. And unfortunately, as all of us well know, Twitter does not lead itself very well to nuance or explanations Real quick, I would say this, is if you look at the three big guys they sign, uh, Morahone, Onya, and Almanzar, Onya, you can probably make, maybe if you're really charitable, make an argument that he's been injured some, but Onya is not the player that he was advertised that they spent $14 million for. Almanzar has been a bust, no matter how you look at it. Morahone has shown flashes of being really, really good. And so my thought on Morahone is I think Preller kind of follows, and I and I certainly could be wrong on this, the Dave Dombrowski school of of trading guys. If you can see somebody that's a prospect and someone like you who pays a lot of attention to payroll and money and numbers, which you should, that you can see Morahone fitting in there as a very legitimate mid-rotation starter, you're not going to move him. Um, Onya right now, they would have no problem moving him. And, you know, the, the costs, like you said, are gone. But if they paid that much money for Morahone, and they send to Cleveland, and Cleveland gets six years of this guy that just spent $22 million, you know, I kind of disagreed with my friend David Jay, who I like to tease a lot, and I can see David's point, but uh, I, I think that's a tough sell to uh, Uncle Ron. I mean, we this is the main guy that they kind of – reason they kind of went over and, and spent so heavily in a relative terms for the Padres in the international market. I think when Morahone's on, I mean, his pitches are there. And when I talk to Sam Ganey at the end of the year with our, uh, where we break down every team, the pot, Ganey was really, really high on him, more so than other guys. And so I think that there's a chance, even though it kind of wouldn't make sense, if Morahone has a big year in double A, you know, I could see him in San Diego at the end of the year. 
could it happen? It could happen. Should it happen? Probably not. No. But uh, well, like I, how tight of an innings limit would they have on him? Like he hasn't thrown that many innings. He hasn't thrown that many innings. More a precaution. The guy that's going to have more innings limit on this year will be uh, Espinosa, who you'll get to see in uh, in Lake Elsinore. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think the, the tough thing for Padres fans and myself included, I've been a Padres fan since. We moved to San Diego when I was like a 10, year, 10 years old, so I was in the 70s. Is It's just been a long time. And, I mean, this offseason, you kind of got to see what, what you have or don't have in certain guys. And I think one thing that both of us agreed upon is if you go into next year, and let's suppose Tatis turns out to be pretty good with Arias and everything else, and that's for our friend John Gennaro. It's Urias, okay? Not Urias, Urias, it's Urias. Is you'd have a guy like Gabriel Arias could come up. And that's a guy who'd be a really good player, but you don't have room for him, you know, at the major league level. And he could help get you something that you need. But right now, to trade somebody who you've developed and you could get the financial benefit, I think is really tough for those guys. Yeah. But I think differently, you see him just purely like ignoring the dollars in a sense. Like you see him yeah. performance-wise. Uh, I do. Yeah. Much like n- not just a three. Like I feel like a lot of times, a lot of the guys we're talking about in the Padres system for pitching, you know, outside of Gore, mm-hmm. a lot of people think are you know middle of the rotation kind of guys, right? And I I have trouble I, like I have trouble really quick going anyone saying anyone's a number one, or I'll say maybe a top of the rotation guy because. Frankly, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know enough what he can do against better bats. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Well, I was saying, I think you see him as, as more than that. Um, and, and I think there was like a glimmer. Like, I don't know if you recall, there was someone who took a picture of a radar of him where he hit 99 or 100. And, and that's kind of out of the ordinary from what I saw from him. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, if it's real or not, or if it was just a hot, hot radar gun or something. But, um, well, so guys, people are excited. Guys, 99, 100. They're like, this guy is not a number three. This guy is a number one. Well, like you and I both know, I mean, it's great that they can touch 99 or 100 if he did, which I'm not. I that that'd be out of what I've ever seen. I think he's been up as high as 97. But the real importance is where you sit, you know. And usually Gore, I mean, Morahone sits in about the mid 90s. I mean, I think Morahone, you know, Morahone's awfully good. I mean. You know, Logan Allen might be the guy with a much higher floor. I think he could be better right now than both Lauer and Lucchese. But, you know, all these are just not not only projections. These are just kind of information that I I have and have seen so far. But things could change because I think, as, uh, as Jed Hoyer made a great point, I think about a third of your development is at the major league level. So, you know, Tatis, I think it's not like he's going to come up to San Diego in June and I think just start hitting home runs and Padres it's going to take a while. Padres well, everyone when they come up is going to be uh, playoff and championship caliber right away. Exactly. Exactly. But he's, I think Tatis is, is, is the real thing. He's the best prospect that I've seen the Padres have and I've been doing this since 2003, but, you know, could definitely be wrong. You mentioned Elsinore, and this is obviously interesting to me because if there's nothing I care about more, it's my my personal entertainment. And we all do. Yeah, so I go to a lot of Elsinore games. We've talked Good. about this before. Um, I, I remember a couple years ago, I was really, really excited because the Elsinore 
posture was supposed to look very exciting. And then it kind of got ravaged by injuries. Like Anderson Espinosa was supposed to start there that year. Right. Um, what are we looking at this year? Am I going to be entertained? Yeah, you should be. I mean, they got uh, got a couple outfielders. Uh, they have probably the Padres' only really legitimate corner threat, Tirso Ornelas. Uh, they got Jason Rosario, who's, I mean, really kind of a fascinating guy. He's like a naturally ambidextrous guy, plays from the best center field that you're going to see. You know, you're going to have Arias there, who is uh, Mesere's like, uh, adopted child, hopefully coming in the, in the future. You're going to have Campusano. You're going to have a lot of good pitching. It should be pretty good. Who are the pitchers? Who am I going to be To be honest, I'm not that excited about Campus. They're fine. They're good. But they're, they're not a reason I'm going to buy a ticket to see Camposano. Uh, a lot of those names. But, but uh, I, I, would, I, would, I would push back a little bit. It's a I, reason to buy a ticket to watch Arias play shortstop. That that is that is a reason to to buy yeah. it. You're gonna see pitching. You're gonna see Mackenzie Gore. You're gonna see you know. Uh, I will say that Bobby Guerra and I was not satisfied with pre-purchase. <laughs> well, Arias can really play shortstop. You, you come back to me and talk to me in July. If you don't like it, you know, you can. Uh, I'll buy you a Nando's dessert. But uh, I, I think Arias was a lot of fun to watch shortstop. Mackenzie Gore is a lot of fun to watch. Osvaldo is, has been a blast. You're going to have fun watching Patino. Patino is a guy who you're going to look and see. If you sit down, because I know H.J. Preller has good seats, the guy who flies first class. If you're looking at the scouts' guns, you're not going to believe that a little guy like Patino can have as much velocity as he could. I didn't believe it. I had to go up and look at the StatCast guy, and he said, yeah, it was true. He was, Patino is someone who actually kind of sits about 95 to and above. It's amazing what he can do on that fastball. Are we going to get Espinosa in Elsinore? Espinosa, from what I understand, it's where Espinosa should start. He'll probably be on like uh, the Chris Paddock path. They're going to limit him to about 85 pitches and probably around 90 to 100 innings. Do you think they'd start him in like extended spring training or something to eat up some of the season and then bring him up? Or you, you think he might be – I mean, we don't get any updates on him. No health updates, No, nothing really. The best we get is like maybe an Instagram video of long toss or something. So I feel like Espinosa is one of the biggest mysteries out there for, for us. The only thing, I, only information I have is uh, when I did the interview with Kyle Glazer at Baseball America, I asked him because the information I always have gotten from the Padres is, yeah, he's throwing bullpens. He's doing fine. Kyle knows a, l- a few more people than I do out in Arizona. They said he's been looking good. They've kind of pushed him back a couple times and not rushed him on some of his dates. But from what Kyle has told me, yeah, I believe he's probably going to – I don't think he'll break with him. They might hold him off for about three or four weeks and maybe start him in there in May. But, you know, he's been out for a while. We'll see. The guy I'd be more excited about to go up to Elson or see would be Mackenzie Gore. He's yeah. a lot of fun to watch. It'll be like last year. Like the, the big – I mean, the big ticket was seeing Paddock pitch last year. Like it was noticeably yeah, Paddock, you know, the whole thing is Paddock, the, the, the blisters get really affect his ability to to toss his slider and curve. He has a very good one of both, which is unusual for a guy this age. But, I mean, Mackenzie Gore is, I mean, he's an athlete. I mean, you will enjoy watching him pitch. But, yeah, again, I'm going to make a push for you to like Arias at shortstop. So uh, we'll see what happens there. I get a lot of videos. I get a lot of There you go. Um, is, there, is there a dud team? I feel like there's usually one of the minor league teams that's a dud to watch. But are uh, in the development process where, where things are kind of evenly spread out. 
But I mean, let's not lie. Elsinore for a lot of the time has been dud because the guys that start right. out get promoted and there hasn't been that much exciting to come up after them. Like I think the last two second halves of the Elsinore seasons have been pretty, pretty poor. Well, usually because the Padres have gone so young recently that they uh, they try to keep a lot of the guys in Fort Wayne there for the whole year. So the Fort Wayne team should be pretty good. If you got to pick a dud team, usually it's always going to be the AAA team because they about half those guys are, uh, you know, uh, minor league free agents or, or big league guys that are coming down. Like I remember last year, everyone lost their crap that the Padres signed Alan Craig and they re-signed him again. Um, you know, Craig's a guy to, to play in AAA. You know, he's not, he's not probably, I, I have trouble seeing him to, on the, on the San Diego roster, but they got a lot of guys like that around. It should be fun to watch El Paso because I think they'll have Josh Naylor and Austin Allen up there. Paddock should start there. Um, my guess is Logan Allen probably will be, it should be a pretty good team. And of course I already got my tickets. I'm looking forward to going to the new, uh, Amarillo sod poodles games in uh, in Amarillo. It'll be great. I'm actually really jealous. I'd like to fly up to Amarillo to see it. The stadium's just really nice, right? Yeah, it is. It'll be a new stadium, and we're even thinking of having a GoFundMe page so we can uh, so we can buy uh, David J a steak dinner at the 72 ounce all you can eat thing and see if he can actually do it. So is I he, think that might be kind of fun. He wouldn't want just a big Montana or something. No, I'd, I'd want to see him. I want to see him get sick. So I'd like to see him do the seventy-two ounce. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a pleasure watching a game with David J. We we, we watched a lot of the uh, a Tri Cities game together. Right. It's very entertaining. You, you know, I feel, feel like you might be giving him a bad rap here. Oh well, I mean, like his love of Arby's. You know, of course, I would never make up anything about David to embarrass him. You know that. <laughs> yeah, why don't you start beating up on Marcus instead? All right, Mark, Mark, Marcus, those are all good guys. I mean, we got to deal with David J and the Raw, as you guys have seen on Twitter. So uh, it, it's good for him to slap him down. So, but David's David David's very good. He's the guy who edits all of our stuff and tells us all we're idiots at different times. So we're really lucky to have David. Wow, there, all, I, I said a nice thing. <laughs> we'll have honor of being called an idiot by David J. <laughs> hey, we've all gotten that honor from David multiple times, and we yeah. will in the future again. I have a like conceptual thing. So so a lot of what we talked about is the Padres kind of moving goalposts back. Right. Um, and if you ask me, like, they probably shouldn't have ever set a goalpost because it's not it wasn't like a defined game. Like this whole prospect development thing's not it's not fixed in stone. Like you like, I know a lot of people in their head are like, well, first year he's gonna be at low A, second right. year half of the year in Elsinore, then he moves up to double A, one year in triple A, and then you can pencil in his ETA in this year. And it doesn't really work in that kind of linear fashion where you can plan a goalpost and say like 2020, these guys are going to be up here and they're going to be producing at a major league level already. Um, I think you're, I, I would push back slightly on your argument. I would say what you can't, I think what you can do and more times I'm not barring injuries, you can kind of plan where they'll be at different years. But the part I absolutely agree with you on is once they get to the major leagues, you can't just say their production is going to take off in year two or three because a lot of things change by that time. And, and one other issue you brought up, which is good, is as I really do like the AJ Preller regime and I like the approach they've taken because I've always been a guy thinking if San Diego's ever going to win, it's going to be through a minor league system. But the one fault with the Preller group is, and you you guys have really nailed the Padres on this more than anybody else, is 
I don't think they communicate very well with their marketing guys, the guys that are having to try to sell tickets to pretty much what you guys have pointed out as a AAA product the past couple of years on the field and charge major league prices. So I think they need to do a better job at communicating that. I mean, uh, if you want an example, I think when they called up Renfro and and Hedges and Aswahe and who am I forgetting? Uh, Margot. And they, four. The core four and that whole that was that was a huge mistake to do that that marketing thing, you know. In, in my opinion, you know, I could be do wrong. You think but the being called up that September was was kind of influenced by marketing, like kind of give the fans a taste because that that really was the kickoff to the um, prospect mania. I think. I don't think so because I I actually think those guys are a lot of the ones that I've met that work with the Padres are nice guys, but. Um, as you and I both know, we are both familiar with the type of guys that are very bright, but you put them in a cubicle to keep them away from people, but you appreciate their work product. Mm-hmm. A lot of them kind of are somewhat like that. They've gotten better in the past couple of years, but, uh, but I mean, I, that's I specifically, that was Mike D still, I mean, that, this is pre his mysterious firing, but yeah. I mean, that September was still under that, you know, sell the sizzle regime. Yeah. I think, you know, I think Mike D, uh, tried to make himself into more than he was, I mean, in terms of baseball. But, you know, I, I, I but you you would have sympathy because if you were the guy in charge of business operations and you're having to sell tickets to, you know, watching Jose Perella and Clayton Richards take them out, I mean, you got to think of something. And, I mean, you would, you would hope your baseball ops people, you could go over there and kind of talk to them and say things like, okay, guys, what year are we looking at? Worst case scenario, so I can I can game plan this. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I mean, I understand there's a need to economically fund the team, mm-hmm. um, but it, but the Padres did do a, a distinctly different route than a team like the Astros, who were very forthcoming, very upfront. Right. With the losing, you know, and they 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 offset it with discounts and, and a lot of things to try to get people through the door. Um, but the, but the Astros, if you remember right, I mean, I just finished reading um, Astro Ball, which you'd probably enjoy, is the Astros were really grilled for a long time. They were the big favorite whipping boy. But you were right, though, in terms of they were much more open about the process and communicating that to what they did. So in my opinion, yeah, I think there was a little bit of a, a misstep between the marketing guys and the baseball ops guys for the past couple of years. But I do think, as A.J. Castro pointed out, that um, the fan, I'll say dogs up there having fun is uh, that the the fan base, especially when you look at Padres Twitter, I I think they're very well aware of who different prospects are and people have different opinions of different guys, which is great about how they'll come up and everyone has an opinion where someone's ranking is and you know I think as a prospect uh, guy on our site I think that's great. Well, I guess what worries me is you kind of see this kind of mini revolt this mm-hmm. from a lot of fans. So a lot of it is tied to just a tradition of, of being cheap, pocketing profits. Um, but I think a lot of it is directly tied to the team setting a win, you know, setting fan expectations with a year. And it's a lie if they're claiming that they never said 2019. That was said at least 10 times by Ron Fowler and Mike D when they would do interviews. Uh, probably more. I mean, in print, Pete Seidler also. And, I think that when you set those years, you know, now it's 2020 and for all we know, you know, Tatis gets another injury or, or something happens and, and things don't come together. 
I think fans don't, when you set an end date like that, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel and you don't meet it, that creates fan angst that may not have been there otherwise. Well, you, you guys have had me, had me on the show and I've talked to a couple other places too. I always said, I thought in 2019, you would start to see some of the guys on the team. Now winning, I hope I always hedge pretty well. I don't think that, I don't know when they're going to win, but I think you'll start seeing more of those guys. In 20, I said you'd see more of them in 2018, 2019, I think, and I'm, I think I'm right on this, you're going to stop seeing as many of, um, you know, the placeholder players, I think. You're going to start seeing more and more guys come up there, prospects. And one other thing I know that you like to talk about this is the, the tough thing about baseball salaries and, and baseball in general, as someone who likes economics like me, is, you know, baseball is not a free market. I mean, it's not that you can really tie a lot of times a player's value to how much money that they're paid. I mean, the Angels would probably, you know, Get, Artie Moreno would probably give his right arm if he could get rid of, uh, you know, the Albert Pujols contract right now. Right. Yeah. And obviously prospects and, and you know, pre-arbitration players have it out, outside. Right. Staff. Definitely. Hmm. Um, have you, do you ever get told when the window is? Um, a lot of whispers that internally the team thinks it's, and, and so there are different windows. Like you, you've just used one where you said, we'll start to see the guys in 2019. And that's distinctly different from being competitive, which is also distinctly different from being a playoff team, which is also distinctly different from being a champion caliber team. And I, I don't know who it was, but someone, someone said that they'd heard 2022, 2023. And like what I was saying earlier is like, I'm, I'm worried that continually having this date being pushed to the right, it's going to lead to irrational decision-making to try to meet that date if the prospects aren't a playoff team on their own. I think, what, think. The, I, what I've heard, and again, the guys that we mainly are around is the development guys. I mean, I've interviewed Preller a couple of times, but mainly the people that we deal with and we have a reason to talk to are those guys. And when they tend to look at things, they tend to look about this guy will be in the majors at this, they think at this date. Okay. Then they kind of stop because they kind of look at like their job's done. It's kind of, that's a different type of development and it, someone else is more in charge of that. You know, they thought like, for instance, like they thought Margot would didn't have much more time to spend in the minors a few years ago. Now they would probably, if I talked to someone outside development, they'd probably tell you they aren't that, they thought Margot would be a lot further along than he is now. I mean, uh, but that's kind of more for what uh, Casavell and Dennis Lindu, who I'm big fans of their work. And I think, AC tries and I'll be charitable there. He tries. This is like a couple of years ago where we'd be like, at least the Padres try hard. <laughs> at least they're smiling and they're trying hard. A lot of trying. This yeah. is what we said about Alexi Amarista all the time. That's true. Um, how predicted, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but how, how, what level is the Dominican Winter League? And how much stock do you put in Dominican Winter League stats? Because obviously when it's Tatis and he's putting up really great highlights and, and some pretty good stats were like, oh, it's great. Love it. But um, is it is it really predictive or reflective of, of any specific level? Like I, I'd see I know there's a study back in like 2012, right. I think, that placed it at triple A. Um, but there's a lot of players there that are not triple A caliber. 
you know, you could probably get someone who's better than me to t- tell you about this. But from what I understand, you know, it, it's different than spring training and that the guys are trying harder. But then again, other guys are trying to work on different things. Guys come in and out of it. I think it'd probably be around a trip, maybe triple A. But, you know, it's hard. I haven't really been out there one time. And uh, one time I have to let the wife uh, give me an excuse to go out there with David J. And we'll eat some mafongo. And I can now hear David tell me that this guy looks aggressive because he's using a, a fork, not a spoon, to eat the mafongo. It shows he's more active on something like that. But, uh, from, you know, it, it's good. It's, it's better he's doing well than he's not. But uh, the one thing about Tatis is when I've seen him in Fort Wayne and San Antonio is this is a guy who really enjoys uh, the big moments. And uh, he is a lot of fun to watch. I think yeah. you guys really enjoy watching him play. Yeah, we love him. We already love him. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, but, you know, you got Tatis on one hand, and we went through the stats. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, another obvious topic of Padres conversation that really has no solution until something structural is done, like getting rid of one of them. Is that there's you know you've got Austin Davies on one hand and you've got Francisco Mejia who they traded Brad for. Mejia is a guy who has always produced in the minors at AAA, um, right? And so it was actually a little surprising that it, in the Dominican Winter Leagues his his numbers aren't just bad they're horrendous. Like he, he had one extra base hit in like seventy appearances. It's and obviously that's only seventy plate appearances and we talked a lot about sample sizes and stuff, but. Should we be alarmed at all about that? Because he wasn't. I mean, he had that. He has like home runs in the big leagues and stuff, but he he does have a you know a suboptimal approach. I think you could say. I would probably be a little more worried what he did in September, and even that's kind of iffy. I don't know enough about what he was doing in the DSL. The one thing I know they are concerned about, and know it's always have been, is you know he can get as he's a problem is he can get his bat on a lot of balls that people can't but he shouldn't really be swinging at those balls a little bit kind of problem with hedges and i know with cleveland one of the reasons that they were kind of willing to give up on him a little bit was he wasn't um really he's not physically that big now ben davies saw him in el paso and i think ben did a pretty good job of coming back with a report on him and i think he did it on eric and danny's podcast the 5.5 mejia really wants to play catcher he, he moves back there pretty well. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's a power-hitting switch hitter. From what I understand, the Padres are willing to go in with both, but there was a pretty good article. It was written on MLB.com, and they, they were claiming Mejia and Renfro might be part of a package that would go to, I think it was Atlanta that they were saying for uh, the Atlanta's top third base prospect, which would fill a hole they have here, or he might be part of something where they have with Senzel. Or they could keep them, um, you know, with hedges and kind of see which one they like better. I, you know, I, I'm not sure really what they're going to do on that. My my thought is what Preller has done this winter is they've kind of kicked the tires. and They probably got a list of certain guys, which we were talking about earlier in the podcast, that they'd be willing to move. But other guys, you know, no, I can't see them moving Tatis, for example, even though, as Pollard said, if someone offers him two Tatises, he'll take two Tatises for one Tatis. Well, Mejia's kind of interesting, though, because you see him and he's very free-swinging, right? He, right. He a lot of bad pitches. But the thing with him is he doesn't strike out. No. His K percentage is pretty low. Even 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 in, in the Dominican Winter League, where he's, he's very much struggling, he's not striking out that much. 
Uh, he kind of reminds me of like Pablo Sandoval, where Pablo Sandoval didn't strike out a lot. Like you, you saw him golf golf stuff like just off the ground. He struck out like 13 to 15 percent of the time with the Giants, which is incredible given how terrible his um, plate discipline was. And I guess I kind of see that in Mejia a little bit, where he has this ridiculous bat speed and ability to make contact with pitches that keeps him from striking out, but at the same time may not be an optimal approach to being a productive hitter at the major league level. Well, you got to turn it around. I mean, if you're on the mound and you're facing Mejia and you know he can get his bat on about anything, you're not going to throw him a strike. You're going to make, if he gets his bat, if he hits something, it's going to be, you know, at the end of the bat or in a bad place. Like when you talk to, to Jake Nix, like when Nix had his best night and the best way that he pitched was when he was against uh, the Mariners. When, you know, where it was like strike one, it's a fastball, it's up and in or down and away. You can't do much with that. The next one's a breaking pitch. And then he just will expand the zone and you'll have to hit where if you hit the ball, you you can't really do that much with him. Now, occasionally I saw Mejia in, on television. I mean, he had one pitch, which was down and in. I don't know how he got his bat around it. And he <clears throat> had a line drive on the left side over the right field fence. So I, I don't know. I mean, the question you have to ask is, do you think Hedges turned it around a little bit at the plate? Or do you think that's just an outlier and he's going to go back to how he was? I mean, uh, if I knew that, I, uh, I'd be getting a paycheck right now. I wouldn't be working for the federal government. I mean, Hedges, this is, this is aside from prospects and stuff, but um, Hedges' management team of Scott Boris and whatever are really playing like this offseason as well as they possibly could in adding value to Hedges in yeah. the market as a San Diego. Like, I don't, I think he's a really nice guy. He's really engaging. Like, you listen to Darren Smith as well. He's right. amazing. That and he sat in for almost two hours on there, like it's unheard of. And um, I just think like someone went in there and was like, "Look, Austin, you're things things could change here. Like, make yourself indispensable. Like, be the face because Osborne's not around in town, you know. And meanwhile, you've got Hedges going to Gulls games and wanting to go to Seals games and just being out there talking to people, like not being standoffish. And it's from a, from like a just a marketing himself standpoint. Like all aside from his hitting or defense, like he's he's done an amazing job at being almost like Mr. Padre of this 2008-19 Padres team. Well, Darren Smith can make anybody look pretty good. As somebody who's been a guest on the show a few times, I mean, Darren's very talented. Um, I interviewed Austin Hedges a couple times. I had two articles on him for uh, Baseball America, and when I talked to him, that I always kind of came away with. You know, he was very, he was very polite. He was very nice, but he was not the, and I've listened to the interviews just as you have on Darren's show. He was not this free, you know, he was not that free in his answers and, and banner back and forth. Maybe a good thing is I probably just didn't, didn't get to know him well enough, but uh, yeah, I can, I can see that a little bit with him. And, you know, Hedges is a very good defensive catcher it's just the question is you know he probably has to post about a three 300 or 310 on base percentage to really have value well i mean if there's one thing san diego's love it's a <coughs> who's yes or tries hard that we can all embrace you know eric owens for a new generation and uh, i feel like hedges is like positioning himself in there where no matter how bad he hits if he if he were to get traded 
or whatever, mm -hmm. people would be sad, very sad. And, and I think a lot of that is his management team's work this offseason. He's not the one difference though is Hedges is a guy with a lot of talent. Like I mean, I think the original guy, at least when I was a kid, was uh, was Tim Flannery. That was like the hustling surfer-looking guy, and even though he lives on a oh, yeah by the coast in Encinitas, I mean, I'll give him a pass on that. But uh, uh, you, you, know. you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh yeah he but he was always someone who seemed like he just worked really hard and overcame his talent. Then there had Lexi Amarista and God, who is the outfielder they used to have with San Diego? North. No, before North. Uh, Chris. Um, Oh, little gritty white guy. I forget what his name I, is. We had Eckstein, the ultimate tryhard. Yes, yeah. Uh, we had Christian Orphia. We had uh, Amarista. Who were the other tryhards? I mean, uh, always oh, I forget. He played some center, played some left. I mean, we'll think of it, and people will remind us after the podcast who it was when this is posted. Well, Indians love tryhards. Yes. Ron Fowler loves tryhards. Well, I mean, you got to look at it this way. The organization's going into its 50th year next year, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to give you a hot take. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So it's going to be a going to be five playoff what five playoff uh, appearances in 50 years? Uh, four, right? 84 and 98. They made the World Series. Oh, sorry, 96. I brought 96. Yeah, 96. Oh, five, oh six. And I think it was six, yeah. So, yeah, it's a rich, proud history. 10% of years are playoff years here. God, you know, what was it? My boss at work was uh, was a, he's become a big baseball fan, and he was upset that the Nationals got beat. And he's, he's saying, oh, gosh, you know, every year they just, they just break my heart. It's tough being a baseball fan. And I'm thinking, you know, Eric – you know, fuck you. I'm a Padres fan. You know, when we first moved to San Diego, we became Padres fans when we were kids. And my dad took me to the Randy Jones car wash in North County in Poway. And uh, he said, this is the guy that led us to the promised land because Jones helped the Padres finish fourth. That was the first year in their history they didn't finish dead last. So, I mean, you know, I mean, everyone who's been a Padre fan has been through it. And uh, the one thing I... The one thing that's really different about the Preller guys, and I've done, I've been doing this since, oh God, since uh, 03, is these are the first guys to really mention that their goal is not to make the playoffs, not to be good or competitive. Their goal is to win the World Series, and you know I like that. We never hear that. I don't hear that from them. I don't hear it being said by them. It's always we want to be competitive. We want to be consistently competitive. And actually, if you go back and look at the ownership's three prom, you know, you know they have like right. the big three promises thing. We were originally promised a consistent World Series contender, which they actually changed the wording to, to a, a consistently competitive team consisting largely of homegrown talent. Well, I've and heard Preller, and but I've heard to a mission statement. But I've heard Preller, and I know you have too, because Preller uses a phrase: "Do I think this guy is a championship player?" And I think everyone's heard that when when you've heard interviews with him. So maybe there's a difference between what Fowler says and Seidler. But when you talk to those guys, and I think I've heard it, and again, I could be wrong, is uh, they make a big part about they they want to be they want to win the World Series. They, they Chris Kemp has made that numerous times that. You know, they don't think there's any glory in being a 98 team. Everyone uses that phrase. They're like, you guys just don't understand Ron Fowler. He wants to win. 
And like, I hear you, AJ Preller wants to win, but there are things you, there's a big difference. Be, there's a lot of things I want also, and I'm sure you want as well. Um, right. But there, there are things you want, and there are things you do to put that want into, bring it into reality. And I think that's been the disconnect. Of course, Ron Fowler wants to win. Who, who owns a sports team and would not like to hold up the trophy at the end of the season after winning the championship? Everyone wants it. Even Jeffrey Gloria, the worst owner, wanted it. But um, there's a big difference between you know, wanting it and, and putting into place the resources and, and what's needed to get there. And I think that's always been the fans' question. Well, I will say this. I mean, and not to be an apologist. And it is ownership because AJ works with what he's given, right? Um, well, I would go a little bit further on this. Is I would say the one thing about the Padres this is that they did spend money in the international market. But, I mean, I think you you guys on your side have done a pretty good job of breaking down, putting that in context, even though it was large they spent. They have, on a minor level, they've, they've added extra coach at each level, which is good. They uh, they have been willing to spend on much better food and spreads. It's much more of a first-class organization than it was like when – I mean, I – This is an uh, example. I haven't actually heard that before. Um, I always hear the, you know, the peanut butter and jelly story where they throw Wonder Bread. No, they used to have that. And what? at Elsinore, I would go in there, and you would see Wonder Bread out there. But you see them that, that Preller has put – they have really good spreads. Because someone figured out if you're paying $6 million for – for these guys, you probably want to feed them pretty well to get maximum athletic performance. So well, they have to spend a lot of money. Like, a, let's say the average Lake Elsinore game. What's on the table for food? Like, what are we talking? When I when I go by there and see it, they usually have like grilled chicken. They have fruit. They have vegetables. They have a lot of things that are pretty healthy. They have a, you know, they got a nutritionist. They try to really tell the guys not to, not to hit in and out every single game after. Uh, after they play and uh, they've done a pretty good job. I mean, the spreads they have at Fort Wayne are, are pretty good. And uh, it's not the media can go in there and dig in on stuff, but yeah, from what I can see, it looks pretty good. So I'm, I'm actually curious on this. I don't know how it works. So I know like the minor league team mm-hmm. is an independent business that signs an affiliation agreement and right. stuff like nutritionists, training staff, are they employees of the, let's say, Lake Elsinore Storm, or are they Padres employees Padres. detailed to Lake Elsinore? Padres, yeah, the, it kind of in a loose way. The minor league team, the, if you own like the Lake Elsinore Storm, you're responsible for the show. The Padres are responsible for the talent, the players, and the coaches that are out there. And usually, and sometimes that can lead to some conflict because – you know, a, a guy might be doing really well with the Storm or, or Fort Wayne, and they'll call him up, and suddenly they don't look like they're going to make the playoffs. And, you know, someone like, like you guys are not negative, but you don't really give a shit if the Fort Wayne 10 caps make the Midwest League playoffs. But it's a big thing for the guy who owns the minor league team because of the gate receipts. Yeah. So uh, it goes back and forth. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, kind of conflict they have. I think they're responsible for paying like half the equipment. Um, but yeah, they, the Padres are the ones who control the players' contracts. They pay for the coaches, uh, the spreads, like the food, food, all that. Like, like Austin goes and buys it and sends a voucher to the Padres, or like, but the Padres are, are putting the bill, right? They're the ones paying for that clubhouse food and, and whatever the nutritionist is providing them. They're paying for some of it. I got it. I can. I, that's a, that's a yeah, good my, question. My teams are lean, right? They're really lean operations. There's not that much profit margin. It's 
it's hard to make a lot of money in the minor leagues. And so if it were the minor league team providing the food, I mean, I guess I get it why why they cut corners on it. But but it seems like a logical thing. A team, you know, it's not that much money to go buy. Not that much, you know, the marginal cost of buying really good food isn't huge, you know. So it's always come off as something that it makes sense that every big league club should be paying for better food in the clubhouses. Well, one thing is – I got to be clear. The players also have clubhouse dues, which covers a lot of the food that they eat, that they have to pay. I know the team will kick in extra money for the food and pay for that. But I got to be more, I got to be careful going in this because I should get into more of the finances. And that'd probably be a really good article. One time we'll break down what the Padres pay for and what someone else does. But the minor league teams, they can make a lot of money. I mean, there's a reason why, there's investment groups that own like five or six clubs. Like the Amarillo club is owned by the same guys who own San Antonio and a couple other teams too. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't lie. I, I would really like to read it. I think, I think a lot of people are interested because that's, that's always a common question, especially when things like the minor league salaries come up. Um, yeah. It's like, well, they can't even pay for some, some real food. Like some, some like catering is not that expensive. So like, I think, I think it's something a lot of people would be really interested in. Um, and shit, the only difference really is is when you get up to AAA and you start signing guys that are minor league free agents, that's why AAA is kind of a tough level because, you know, everyone out after their bonuses, everybody's making the same amount of money all the way up. You get to AAA. I think Cody Decker told me one time when he got to AAA, that was the first time he got a, a two-week paycheck that didn't have three digits in it. So... Um, you know, they'll start a guy will sign. Maybe he'll get two or three, four or five thousand a month. There's even been examples. I think Jeff Francoeur, when he was with the El Paso team, he was getting like a hundred thousand a month. So there tends to be some um, interesting dynamics that go in in a, in a AAA clubhouse compared to uh, the rest of them. It's really kind of a much more of a distinct level. Right. Um, I think the last thing I've got is. Like the big story for Padres fans has, has been, I think, the spending. I think that's mm-hmm. what's been highlighted right. this offseason. I come into it with a similar perspective as you. Like, I got out of San Diego for a while. I lived in DC. Mm-hmm. I watched the birth of the Nationals up to where they became a playoff team. And it's kind of an interesting dichotomy to see how things operate here and how things operated in DC. And I saw right. you go to Nationals games. You, mm-hmm. you're. Uh, whatever the whatever the radio station is, I forget the fan out there or whatever, whatever you're listening to, talking about the Nationals, like it's totally different because the it's just like they they built through the the draft as well, right? I mean they built through prospects. They had one of the better farm systems, and their stars were homegrown, drafted international signees. It's just it's really hard for me to watch to have watched how the Nationals have done it and then watch how the Padres are doing it. Um, like, am I off on that? Like, the Nationals have been very homegrown. I mean, you look at their stars, they were draftees or they were international signings. Uh, they've sent some free agents, you know. Scherzer's, Zimmerman, uh, homegrown. I mean, you go through the list. Rendon, Zimmerman, Strasburg, Harper, right. uh, Soto. Um, who am I missing? Well, they signed Scherzer. Scherzer got a big, yes, yeah, Scherzer got a big contract. But the big thing about the Nationals, I think, which is 
kind of interesting when we start going into all these prospect lists and the depth of guys. And this is kind of why I've always teased people who do any lists like more than, I mean, we just do 30 to compare with baseball America. The nationals didn't have a lot of great depth. What the nationals did is they didn't miss on the top picks. You know, the nationals had two top picks back to back and they got Strasburg and Harper, you know, now maybe they were the more apparent guys that year, but they also hit Anthony Rendon. Zimmerman, Zimmerman is a good guy because he's more of the older guy that when you were here, um, yeah, and actually Mike Rizzo has a really good idea. Trey Turner has turned out to be pretty good for uh, the Nationals. Yeah, back, Drew Storen was a more um, more than one time All Star. I mean, there's a lot right. of picks that they hit on. But honestly, I don't really listen to uh, the Nationals. I follow it in the paper a little bit. I I listen to uh, if I listen to the talk shows, which I'm not a big fan of. I listen to the Darren Smith show occasionally. I listen to the guys in the morning. Um, but uh, not, think, not a lot. I think a point I was, I was, it's something that I've thought about this week is a lot of people assume, and the talk is always, well, the Padres are following the blueprint of the Astros and the Royals because they want a World Series, and, and it's good to, to say that. To an and extent. They're doing exactly what they're doing. They're tanking, and they're building through that tank. And I, you think about how the Padres prospect list is what it's comprised of. And once I started digging into it, I don't really think that's the case. Like the Nationals are distinctly different in that they're built on first round draft picks primarily. I mean, their stars have been, their top prospects have been very high draft picks. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at the Padres rankings and out of the top 10, obviously Gore, I think is a clear, you could call him a tank pick, right? I mean, they, they did very poorly and they got the third overall draft pick. Outside of that, their first round picks that were affected by their record or, or who Quantrill and Weathers. And so Quantrill and Weathers aren't in most rankings, top 10 outside of Blazer. It's, it's interesting to me that the Padres seem to be building for all the talk of a tank and, and how you rebuild that way. It doesn't seem that they're really following that method. Like obviously they, they used a unique strategy of going all in one time. They cannot do it again all in on international players for a one-time infusion of talent. But outside of that, it's it's been very, I don't know, traditional, I guess. Like, there, there, there's no other real strategy to it. I, w- I wouldn't say that. It's a distinct difference from how the Astros and Royals did it. Because if you think of the Royals, the Royals are kind of similar to what the Nationals have done, where they hit on many, many first-round picks over the years. And they built their team either by trading off those first-round picks. I'm thinking guys like Jake Odorizzi or, or Will Myers. And 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 then utilize guys like Alex Gordon, Eric Hosmer. Um, you know, it, it just kind of, to me, it comes off as a different strategy. I, I'm not sure if you kind of get the same feeling looking at the prospects. And it's not to say our prospects are worse or because, I mean, obviously they're ranked first in, in baseball. But to me, it just seems like a very different approach that they're taking and it doesn't really seem like a synonymous comparison i you know i would argue that every team whether it's the cubs the astros or the royals all did things a little differently and i think the one thing and i remember i used to push back against our friends craig and john a little bit 619 sports when they would focus too much on the tank is that i think the draft was one of three prongs that they use one thing the padres did that was very good was you know, they shipped out a lot of major league guys to get to get guys in lower level prospects better deals. That's how they got people like Chris Paddock. That's how they got Tatis 
and so on. And I think they deserve, you know, some credit for, for doing that yeah. and not worrying was on the big league club. So I think there's a lot of ways to build up, but the main thing is to accumulate talent. And I think they, they've done a pretty good job of doing it through the draft and international and trades. Cause that was my big problem with the Sandy Alderson guys is under John Moore. They, they were cheap. They would only go for guys that were going to be in the draft. They would only sign guys that were going to sign for slot, wouldn't go over slot on anybody. So, yes, I think every time you and I come on here, we we give some type of food analogy. It'd be like, you know, the guy next to you is making this, uh, you know, great filet mignons, and, you, and I get mad at you because you can't make the same thing out of flank steak. But- I guess my last question. Are they good at drafting? Because because that was that was one conclusion. I, I haven't concluded it, but I look at the top twenty draft, uh, you know, prospect list, top thirty mm-hmm. draft prospect list, and outside of Gore, who is pretty much you know the slam dunk pick where they were, you know, consensus pick at that spot. I don't I don't see a lot of future impact players there, and, and they have impact players. They have many impact players, but they've all been acquired by trade or by international. And so, you know. To me, I haven't been able to say they are that good. I mean, obviously, Lucchese and Lauer made it to the major leagues in right. what, a year and a half or whatever. And that's probably, to this point, their greatest success drafting um, in, well, in that scene production out of those players. Well, but if you look at it from like 2016, that. you know, Lauer was a, a first-round pick. Right. I think Hudson Potts has been, you know, he's, in most systems, he would easily be a top-10 player. He was a very good, good selection by the Padres. Nix was a third-round pick, I believe, in 2015 when they didn't have it. I don't know enough about Ryan Weathers, really, to know, you know, kind of give you a great answer on what it can be. Uh, Quantro in a lot of systems would be a, a top-10 player. I mean, because – and I think he has a lot of value in the trade market because people can see that they, they – anyone would – a lot of guys would think they can fix the command because that's his biggest problem. But you don't know whether you're going to be able to fix the command or he's going to turn into another uh, Brian Mitchell. And, then, you know, when I watch Mitchell pitch, same as you, I see a guy who throws very easily in the mid-90s, has a decent breaking pitch, good changeup. What's his main problem? Is His main problem is about one out of every four or five pitches, the ball goes over the middle of the plate, and major league hitters will just crush that. Right. I guess with him, I kind of wonder. Not, I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I think he's bad at drafting. Right. But I hear a lot of opinions where you're like, "Well, AJ, AJ's building this the right way through the draft, and he's been very successful at that." And I don't know if we can determine that quite yet. I mean, his entire tenure of of drafts have led to Joey Lucchese, Eric Lauer, and Jacob Nix at the major league level. It's not. It's not. Yeah, I think it's an undefined answer at this point. I think it's been a little better than that. But, I mean, I think that's kind of a question for another episode when I got everything in front of me. And also, there, it's been since about 2016. I, I think you can say the very first pick he had, Austin Smith, has not panned out that well at all. He's been bad. Yeah. and uh, But Austin Allen, who's, a, who's a, I think, a very good catcher, a very good prospect as a catcher. His catching has improved a lot. I think he is very a valuable trade chip. He was picked around the fourth pick. But the thing about Preller, I think, which he does really well, is he understands that he's going to miss on these guys, like you and I have always said. And he's going to miss on guy prospects and trades, and he's going to miss on international signings. But if you sign enough of these guys, you're going to hit on a few, which, you know, the thing on a, a good example is on Tatis is 
if you're if you and I are out spring training and we go on the backfields, we can see a lot of guys who have a lot of talent, kind of like Tatis. But the whole question is, how well can they consistently do it? And Tatis was kind of like betting on a tech stock in the '90s. I mean, it hit. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, John, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Have you? We'll have you again pretty soon. You know, I mean, you're pretty big time now that you're on the Darren Smith show. <laughs> well, occasionally I like to slum it, so I come on here, so that's pretty good. I mean, you and Marva can talk about your your big moment in the spotlight on the Big D Smith show. So it's yes, yeah. Of course, podcast, <laughs> but someday maybe you'll run into him. I will. I hope to see him. I heard he's a very different person than he is on Twitter, so it should be fun yeah, to meet him. Total dickhead. <laughs> well, you got you got you got. I've met Woe Doctor before, so it's pretty good. And I I haven't well, met the Chammer yet. We had an illustrious launch at the Regal Siegel and SMUs where you were lucky enough to meet. Uh, local celebrity Ben Higgins. Yes, that was the Ben and Woods show. I listen to that occasionally, so they don't sit, so I don't get some angry uh, tweet from Woods. But yeah, they, they do a good job too. It took you 13 minutes to think of that because before you, were, <laughs> sometimes I listen to that morning show thing. That was good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well, it's better than than what they had before. So those guys do a good job. Yeah, they are good. They're nice guys. They are good guys. Um. All right. Well, thanks again, John. I really appreciate it. We'll meet up pretty soon, and we'll do this again. Uh, oh. I will not take the top 100 uh, project prospect list and just go talk about number 97 versus whether Jackson Winsky should be number 94 or 93, but uh, we'll have some fun. We'll, we'll talk again. Definitely will. And we can also break down the one article that I had since you're a foodie, too, about the top food spots to hit on the Padre Affiliates Tour. That got a lot of – that was a pretty popular article we put on our site. Yeah, I think that would be great. Well, I mean, we need to wait for a report on Amarillo. Yeah, that's. I definitely will have some food recommendations from Amarillo from when I'm out there. Be clear. Is it pronounced the Texan way, Amarillo, or is it Amarillo? I think it's pronounced Amarillo, but, you know, when I'm out there and in person with those guys, I've talked to them a couple times on the phone already, uh, I'll have a more definitive answer for you. Yeah, it's kind of like a town next to my college. who's uh, Buena Vista, Virginia, which, of course, is Buena, Buena Vista. I was corrected many times. It's Buna. Yeah, well, you use a knife and fork to eat food, so it's a little different for that guy, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, John. And for another edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast, go Padres. Go Padres. <laughs>